0: I really enjoyed immensely last Lord's Day when I had the opportunity to that uh, Josh had set up for us to have a chat, and I just love this kind of very personal type situation where you can talk. In fact, I was visiting here before we placed membership. And I was able to see Josh conduct a chat where they were eating grasshoppers. Now that'll motivate you to place membership, right? So anyway, I'm sure you have dog lovers in this congregation like we are. We have two little ones. And every time we take them out when it's pouring rain and the weather is cold, we have a little chat. And that chat is, Hurry up and take care of your business. And I saw this uh, very cute cartoon about Noah. And can you imagine? The rain is pouring. The floods are about to come. And he's saying, will you hurry up? True. God opens doors. No question about it. God is in the business of doing that. Think with me about Noah in the long ago God had to open a door to that ark and allow those eight precious souls to go into that ark. And through that experience, humanity was saved. How beautiful open doors are. When Josh introduced this subject a couple Sundays ago, I'm thinking about the evangelistic opportunities that Paul talked about. He talked about the fact that There is no question in the hearts of any of us who are sincere that God opens doors. In fact, Paul poetically and powerfully talked about that. He said, in fact, that when he gathered the church together after he and Barnabas had gone on that first missionary journey, they then shared and reported with the church how that God had opened a door to the Gentiles that he mentioned in Acts chapter 14 and verse 27. To the saints at Colossae, he spoke about how God would open a door to the Lord to share the mystery of Christ in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 3. And another time when he was preaching the gospel in Troas, he spoke about the fact that God's gospel would be opened to him by the Lord. But probably more dynamic than all of these scriptures put together is when he talked about the evangelistic opportunities that was going to be afforded to him in Ephesus. And notice the adjectives here, dearly beloved. A great and effective door has been opened unto me. But notice in the next breath, he mentions about, and there are many adversaries. Every time God opens a door, their adversaries you know I really believe that God was opening doors in my life when I was a youth many many years ago in fact I was not raised in the church I can only remember one time from age 8 to 19 that we ever went to a church building my dad was an alcoholic but I had a beautiful beautiful mother And she really was the only anchor I had really to God. She was raised as a Calvinistic uh, Presbyterian. And she really believed very strongly in predestination. And she really talked to me a lot about God. But we weren't really a religious family. We'd moved to a neighborhood that was a very rough neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And from age 8 to 19, experiencing a very dysfunctional family to say the least... I was kind of the ringleader of the block. And so I got uh, everybody that was on the block, especially the boys, and we created an athletic club. And there I was able to mentor and coach a bunch of young kids for some 10 years on that block. And I wonder at times God may have been opening doors that maybe I would have an opportunity and future in ministry. But you see, the story doesn't end there. I go one year to Oklahoma State University and I'm majoring in that of marketing because my entire family, going back to my grandfather, was in retail marketing, especially in the clothing business. I thought it would be a foregone conclusion. I'd follow that very place in my life. And when I've completed that, my mother finally got remarried to a very fine man and he lost his job when I was 19 years of age. And he moved to Fort Smith, Arkansas. And I want you to notice doors open in a unique way. It was during the Vietnam War. It was during a time where I possibly might be drafted and I joined the Air National Guard in Fort Smith, Arkansas, an arm of the the Air Force, the Air National Guard. And there I began to meet a bunch of young men from Fayetteville, Arkansas. They invited me to come on the campus of the University of Arkansas. And I did that and met my Christian wife, Rowena. And it's amazing. The story doesn't end there. She introduces me to her prayer warrior mother. And then she introduces me to an elder in the North Street Church of Christ. And as Paul Harvey would say, the rest is history. I became a New Testament Christian. But you see, I had this tugging when I completed my three more years of marketing degree. I had to make a decision, and I got my dream job. A department store was offering me a training, and I'd be able to be a manager of that department store. But God was opening other doors. Tom Dockery was sharing a lot with me at that time, the late Tom Dockery. And I want you to know the culmination of all of these religious influences got me to decide to go to seminary and study about God and his kingdom and and have the opportunity to really share the gospel. For the next some 20 years, I'd be engaged and involved in ministry in four different states, in Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas, and the state of Washington. We would end up going to New Zealand as missionaries. And I never will forget about God opening these doors, dearly beloved. Every situation that happened in my life, it was God opening a door. And finally, in 1991, when Josh and I were having the chat last Lord's Day morning, we talked about how that God opened this great and effective door in the former Soviet Union in 1991 the unimaginable happened the iron curtain comes down and there God opened up a door for Rowan and I to be involved in a 24-year ministry there and how it was so exciting in fact let me tell you the one thing I think we both learn more than anything else is that God wants disciples with heartburn he really wants that no question about that in fact It is very important. If you want to follow the message on the back of the bulletin, you can fill in the blanks because disciples' heartburn is the supreme need in the church today. Do I get an amen? Amen. Burning hearts is what we need in God's kingdom. And God wants us to be able to have these burning hearts. It's so important that we realize this. The question of the hour is how can disciples... Keep the flame going. Have the passion, if you will, in our hearts that God wants us to have. Today I want to talk about the importance of maintaining heartburn. See, disciples must allow Jesus to talk to them through the Word of God. That's so important. As these two disciples were walking on the Amos Road... There they were to discover something. Yes, their hearts were chilled with doubt and disappointment. But yet, verse 15 tells a little bit of the story in Luke 24. It states there, we had hoped. That was their sad lament. We had hoped that Jesus would be the one who would redeem, who would redeem Israel. But you see their sad lament was that Jesus had died on a cross and he was not the one that was going to redeem Israel and their hearts are chilled with that doubt and disappointment. When Rowan and I were got engaged in the Slavic work in Russian Ukraine one of the things that we determined very early is that these Christians have a glow of love in their heart. When they receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, they feel compelled to see that others might have the same religious experience, and so they become very evangelistic. In the some 20-plus years that I've worked with American congregations, I've seen at times, not always, but at times the glow of love and passion gets somewhat reduced to indifference. I've seen at different times that There's not that glow in our heart that it really needs to be. And so as a result of that, some Christians will fold their hands in neglect and not do God's work. But these Slavic Christians for the most, they felt so compelled to be engaged and involved. I remember a congregation up in northern Russia started with three women that were converted to Christ. Today, that congregation in Siktivkar, Russia is 150 strong with an eldership and deacons and a full-time evangelist. And yes, that congregation is self-supportive without any American help. We saw in those works that were able to be done to God's glory and the good of others, we were able to see how God was working in the hearts of these Christians and how they were so compelled to really want to get involved and engaged in God's work. If you're looking at uh, Luke chapter 24, Jesus is walking alongside these disciples. And I'm really struck by verse 25 and 26. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart that you do not believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them all the scriptures concerning himself. I don't know about you, dearly beloved, but that is one Sunday evening Bible study I wish I could have been a part of. How great that must have been. I mean, that was a seven-mile trek, or journey to EMS that they had to go. And as they journey along, what is Jesus doing? But he's sharing with them the scriptures, the scriptures that talk about what he was to do and the glory that was to take place. Do you realize, dearly beloved, that a fire cannot happen unless we have that thing that will ignite the fires, and that is the holy scriptures. Scriptures are the fuel, if you will, for burning hearts. And we need to realize that because God wants us to have that. Jesus comes alive on the sacred pages of the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there, setting off to itself is the uniqueness of John's gospel. And when you reach for the four books that I have explained to you today, and you open them up and you allow Jesus to talk to you, what are you hearing? You're hearing the word of the Lord. You're hearing Jesus speak to you. But you see, it's important that we realize that we are to allow Jesus to come along and walk with us. I tell you, I'm compelled about verse 15. I I can't imagine you're walking on a seven-mile journey to get to your village home. And here comes Jesus just casually, not in a forceful way, joining them. In fact, it says in verse 15, while they were conversing, Jesus came up and walked along with them what does that mean to us today well i know it really means a lot of different things but one thing for sure i know it means is when you turn over to first john chapter 1 verse 7 here you discover that as a christian we are to walk in the light of jesus as he is in the light and then we have the certainty that his blood keeps on purifying every sin the verb usage right there, the present active indicative Greek verb, a present continuous action, if you will, that as long as we keep walking in that light, that blood keeps on, keeping on, keeping on, cleansing us from every sin. The, the real key here is to not be walking in darkness, but to be walking in the light is He, Jesus, is in that light. And how beautiful it is when we're walking along with Jesus, and we're walking in the light. See, it is important to realize 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 talks about how our Lord suffered, leaving us an example to walk in his footsteps. When we were engaged and involved in that 24-year ministry in Russia and Ukraine, we noticed that the Slavic Christians did not take lightly walking with Jesus, they didn't take lightly in their Christian journey to be able to follow the example of walking in his footsteps. I'm thinking about a 1992 campaign in Murmansk, Russia. By the way, it's about 150 miles to the Arctic Ocean. It gets a little bit cold up there. And I was engaged and involved in a campaign, and I had my translator come to me and say, Ronnie, the KGB thinks you're up here, with your entire mission team. You're members of the CIA and you're engaged and involved in an espionage activity because there's a nuclear submarine base up here and they're wanting to know just exactly who and what you're doing. And it's pretty serious. And so as I got engaged and involved in those interrogations There was that one translator along with some other translators that risked their lives and went to the mayor of the city and were able to convince him that I was not part of the CIA. Otherwise, I'd been engaged and involved in a prison ministry like Paul. See, there's no doubt about it. They were willing to risk is what they were willing to do. To follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I remember when I got grounded several years later in 2014 for some health issues that got resolved. My precious wife Rowena went on that missionary journey. It was in the Donetsk, Ukraine region and while she was there ministering to women, she was speaking in a woman's lectureship there and and engaged and involved in an orphanage situation. The pro-Russian army invaded the whole area of Donetsk, and closed the airport. The word was that they were trying to capture foreigners and Americans, and they were killing them. Here I've got a wife that I've been married to almost 50 years at that point, and I don't know if I'm going to get to see her pretty face again. There was a Christian young man that was in his mid-30s, and he pretended to be her husband, and he risked his life going through lots of different channels to get to the train station and get my wife on a train with a Christian woman translator, a young one. And there they took a train with the destination, Dnieper Petros There was a safe haven right there. Rowena told me there were four to five train stops and each time the pro-Russian soldiers came on the train looking for foreigners. And she just did not know if she'd ever make it safe home again. I want you to know how great it was. She told me, she said, you know, the air, honey, was like, like evil. It was so thick. It was horrible while I was in that war zone. And then she said when we landed in Petros, And by the way, Sasha, one that you, in fact, support, greeted Rowena as we've worked with him for years. And she was able to stay in their flat that evening. And she just thanked God that I... when, when, When I went to Tulsa, Oklahoma and had my reunion, I know we must have cried buckets of tears in that airport. See, these Christians, they take risk, and they're not afraid to do that. That's how important it is for us to see that. But it's important for us also to make the most of communing with Jesus. See, there's all kinds of opportunities. I appreciate so much what John said this morning about how wonderful it is. You get up, it's cold, it's maybe a rainy day, and you're not wanting to get up and out, and and all of a sudden you come into the into this wonderful church building, and you see saints that are greeting you and hugging you and letting you know how much you're appreciated and loved, Jesus wants to commune with us. We just got engaged and involved in the communion with the Lord's Supper. And how wonderful that was. I mean, it was moving us, if you stop and think about it, in three different directions when we partook of the Lord's Supper. I mean it's so important to see how that Jesus is able to do that. I mean we were able to go backwards and we were able if you will to really be confirming about what Jesus' death on a cross means to each and every one of us. And we were able to go forward and look forward as 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 mentions. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, what are you doing? You're proclaiming the Lord until he comes again. He is coming again. Amen. Amen. And when he comes again, oh, what a communion that will be. And then we certainly, we look inward as we examine ourselves, as 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight 28 says. It's so important to see that, that Jesus wants to be involved and engaged with us. If you look at verse 28 of Luke chapter 24, it says Jesus acted as if he was going further. Here they are. They're at the village of Eumus, and he's acting as though he's going further. You know what that teaches me, Josh? That teaches me that Jesus will never force himself into your heart. He will never do that ever. Jesus is going to be more laid back about that by the way the latch to your hearts on the inside it's not on the outside you have to unlatch it and open up your heart and invite Jesus to come in and then he'll commune with you Oh yes, he offers the opportunity, but he walked as if he was going further, and I love how they urged him. They urged him strongly, stay with us. That's all Jesus needed, and he went inside. And it's through the discovery of them eating together. It was not the Lord's Supper they were engaged and involved in, but it was a religious experience that was unbelievable for them. And I want you to know that, that Jesus wanted to commune with them. And then he disappeared. But you see, there's another way t- that we get engaged and involved. It's in the assembly. Just think about what we're doing today, dearly beloved. This assembly is so beautiful that we're a part of. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 tells us that a fire can be extinguished if you make a decision to not assemble with the saints. But I think many times we've left out verse 24. That preceding verse is so vitally important because it gives us another reason for why we come together. And why do we do that? So that we can consider how to provoke and stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. And that word for provoke and stimulate is a very strong Greek word. It is actually a translation of an Old Testament word that means to burn. And so when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ like we're doing today, guess what's happening? We are to inflame one another. We are to passionately get each one of us excited about serving Jesus. And I really believe that that's what we need. We need to really make the most of when we commune. But, of course, we also commune with Jesus every day. That's another way of communing. Our daily lives, we have the opportunity of communing. Many Russians, you think, are atheistic, but they're not. They're really religious. They have a thousand-year history of the Russian Orthodox Church. But the problem they've got is the only way that they can access God, they believe, is by going to the cathedral or the church building and asking the priest to access God for them. What Rowena and I learned in our 24 years is they need to learn a simple concept. And that simple concept is when they are baptized into Christ and converted in Jesus Christ, They have the high priest Jesus who is their intercessor, the one who will go before God and plead your case and tell God everything that's on your heart. I tell you, when they learned that simple concept, hundreds of them became New Testament Christians. Well, if it's 3 in the morning and they're needing to access God, they can do it from their flat. They don't have to go down to the cathedral to get the job done. How beautiful it is that Jesus is our high priest. But do we sometimes leave Jesus at the church house? Maybe we do. Years ago when we were missionaries in New Zealand, we had a habit we got into where we would always take another visitor or member home with us and eat every Sunday. Rowena earlier had said, be sure you get Reese. That's our youngest son. He was four years of age then. And I get home with the Christian couple, and I learn very quickly when Rowena says, where's Reese? He's back at the church building. So I get back in the car, and I rush back to the church building. There's that little four-year-old son of mine crying his eyes out. And the first thing he says to me is, Daddy, I thought you were going to leave me here at the church building with Jesus forever. (laughs) Do we do that? The Jesus that we spend around the communion table is maybe not taken home to the lunch table, to the supper table. It's so important that we take Jesus home with us. Listen, young people, Jesus needs to be with you when you're in school. Jesus needs to be with us when we're on our jobs, when we're in our leisure time. Yes, even when we're going to bed and we pray, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray, my Lord, my soul to keep. Jesus needs to be with us. No question about it. But you see, we must keep the glow of heartburn. Disciples must be urgently at the task of sharing Jesus. And how vitally important that is for us today to really see how that really can stimulate our hearts The best way to keep burning hearts in your very heart is to spread the good news of Jesus into the hearts of others. How important that is. See, Rowena and I witnessed firsthand again through the hundreds and hundreds of conversions that we saw take place in that 24-year ministry that they really believed when they were baptized into Christ that it's urgent that we make haste to share it in the hearts of others. And that's what we saw. I, I mean, I'm reminded of another situation that took place in October of 1992. We had gone into an area there, and we had shared the gospel. We took 89 workers on that particular evangelistic campaign, went into 11 Russian cities, And there at the end of that campaign that lasted almost a month, there were 307 conversions and four churches of Christ established. And you know, there would not have even been a fourth of those conversions had they not been insistent to tell us about acquaintances, family members, and work companions. And they started getting in touch with them, and it just began to just explode with evangelism. I remember one of those cities we went into was Pechora, a r- ancient Russian city. And there, there was 138 conversions at the end of that campaign. You know what I could not believe is that we had befriended the mayor of that city, and he became a Christian. And right there in front of us, guess who he called? President Boris Yeltsin who was his dear friend, and he said, Boris, they've got a church that they've started here in our city, and I'd like to know if I have permission that we can donate land. And you know what Mr. Yeltsin said? Sure, go ahead and do it. I mean, when I hear stories like that, I say, is God not operative in our lives when we reach out evangelistically? It's amazing. The Lord cares so much about each and every one of us. I talked about Arthur, the, the, the little 10-year-old boy that accepted the gospel a couple years after going to Bible school on Sunday morning. And Arthur said, you know what, Ronnie, I don't want to go alone to heaven. And so he teaches his grandmother, Galena. Then he teaches his mother, Victoria 1. Then he goes to his sister, Victoria 2. Then he goes to his wife that he met and converted to Christ. That's Victoria 3. And he said, one of these days, my whole family's going to be with me in heaven. That's what it's all about. There's another young man that I'll never forget. His name is Feather. And by the way... Bogdog, who you also are supporting here. I had the privilege of teaching for about 10 years in Ukrainian Bible Institute, and I know him quite well. And he introduced me to a young man by the name of Feder. Feder's father was head of the Russian Mafia. Fedor got engaged and involved in criminal activity as a young person and ended up in prison. But because his father was worth so much money through the mafia, he was able to buy his way out of prison within a year. But Feder during that year, got a Russian Bible and started studying with the help of one of our graduates from the school, and he was baptized into Christ. And do you know what Feder did? Fetter like Moses, chose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin and wealth for a short time. And he is building a dynamic work in Kiev, Ukraine today. See, it's important to see that. He believes the riches of Christ is far greater than the riches that could have been provided because he would have been the next one when his dad bowed out to be in charge of the mafia. I love the fact that we have an opportunity today. We do not have a secret to be hidden, but we have a story to be herald. And those who are rekindled by the fire, if you will, in their hearts will be warmed by that very flame. See... It is important that we realize that the need of the church today, Jesus wants us to have disciples who are really, excuse me, I moved us forward. But Jesus wants us to have disciples that are really warmed by that flame. G. Campbell Morgan is an English evangelist that I have loved studying his sermons over the years that I've been in the Lord. And he says this, he said, We must take time to allow Christ to talk with us through his word. We must walk with Christ and commune with Christ and make haste to share Christ with others. In this way, our lives will flame with fire that creates that holy passion that when we sing and sob, which serves and waits and which travails and which definitely spreads the kingdom of God. How vital that is. Those two disciples that were walking along the road on their way to Eamas, what did they say when they made their discovery of who Jesus really was? Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road and while he was explaining in the scriptures about himself. God has a consuming fire. Your opportunity today is you can come and be warmed by that fire. Vance Havner, a religious writer, that has written so many books. He says, we are so afraid of too much feeling that we are almost past feeling. Afraid of too much that we make out with too little. Dead men do not sing, dead men do not cry. One has to be alive to have feeling, and that is true of churches, and that is true of Christians. May God help us to be aflame, and may we have the heartburn that Jesus wants for every disciple that is here today. If you have need of any need in your heart, will you take advantage of it while we stand and sing to encourage you?